This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Jones. Watford for the win! Yes! Yes! Oh! Unbelievable! Unbelievable! Can't believe it! Seven words. All that's in that call from Dan Schulman. ESPN's broadcaster of both college basketball and baseball is our guest today. Episode 27 here of Play by Playcast. My name is Joel Godet, as they say in New York City, or as Steve Summers would say, me here, you there. Thanks for joining us again. Hitting download or subscribe if you enjoy the podcast, rating, reviewing, telling a friend as well. Following us on Twitter, you can find us at PXPCast. You can find me at Joel Godet. You can email me uh, as well. Continue to get some emails. Always good to hear from people that listen to the podcast. Enjoy and get something out of it as well. We're going to talk a lot with Dan Schulman about that call. Christian Watford's three to knock off Kentucky. Five-year anniversary this week. Five-year anniversary of that happening. The unranked and upstart Indiana Hoosiers coming out of the doldrums of the Kelvin Sampson fallout, I guess you could say. The beginning of the Tom Crean years knocked off number one Kentucky in Bloomington. And I still get chills for uh, several reasons. The call, the moment, everything that went into the moment still gives me chills when I listen back to that one. We're going to dissect it uh, pretty thoroughly here on the podcast, along with uh, the Game 7 of the World Series with Dan. We'll talk about the intricacies of calling baseball on television and on the radio, uh, dive into a whole lot of other things with Dan Schulman here on the podcast. Totally separate note, though, a couple things off the top. Number one, I just assumed you don't give your notes to the opposing team in broadcasting. Crazy story this past week, or I guess this week. Wake Forest color analyst, former coach, and there's, there are several layers to this story that I'm sure we're going to get through over the course of the next couple of days and weeks, but Wake Forest color analyst, now former color analyst, passing scouting reports or game plans or things of that nature, plays onto opponents uh, apparently for several years. We'll see the impact and fallout it kind of has on broadcasters in general. I don't think for established guys at schools, it's going to make much of a difference because those relationships are always there. Yeah, I don't know if Mike New is going to tell me not to come to meetings anymore or if James Whitford is going to kick me out of film sessions. I think we're still good there, but I certainly think for new guys, it might, and it maybe, maybe not, maybe it's a wash, but it might make those relationships a little bit more difficult and, and kind of building up that trust and gaining that trust to be able to sit into meetings and get scouting reports and get game plans. I still remember my first college basketball job. I was at South Florida. This was 2009, 2010. I was the women's basketball guy at South Florida with Jose Fernandez, who's an awesome dude. And I remember one of my very first games, we were playing Washington at home. And I had asked to speak to Washington's coach after shoot around. 
And, uh, you know, after they shot around at our place, I walked up to her. We had a good, I don't know, five minute conversation, five, six, seven minutes. It wasn't long. You know, tell me about this kid. How'd you find this one? What's this one improved on? And I, nothing horrendously like earth shattering. I mean, it was anything you could read in a newspaper, but I didn't even want to tell Jose Fernandez that stuff. I, I remember I went to pregame meal later that day um, and I, w- I was like, yeah, I spoke to their coach. Can't tell you what you said. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. And it wasn't like, you know, Shauna is going to go left. It was like she's been working on her jump shot, which clearly they would have known by watching film. But I was that protective of it. And I think as broadcasters, we we get access to interesting insight, interesting information. And it's mildly important to, to keep that close to the vest. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with the fallout of all this. Uh, but it's it's certainly interesting to see what has all happened with what they have now called Wakey Leaks. And thank God, because if they had called this Wake Forest Gate, I would have quit. Like, stop adding gate to scandals. Whoever came up with wakey leaks, pat on the back. Way to think outside the box. (laughs) I'm being totally honest. At least we got something new. Something positive came out of that. Other thing to call attention to this week, I'm recording this Thursday night, and the news obviously has broken uh, that Craig Sager has passed. I don't want to say too much about it because I'm not going to do him justice. He's who he is. I'm who I am. Uh, obviously I respect his work a lot, but a huge loss. And you can read about Craig Sager's life and legacy online and hear about him from people that knew him and will do much uh, more justice to him than me. But uh, thoughts to the Sagers, certainly uh, in in what's an awful time and uh, tough for the industry because we lost a giant as far as Uh, I would say what he did and being a sideline reporter and truly a reporter. um, But that's just the start of it. So um, rest in peace, Craig Sager. And uh, we lost a big one this week. I don't know how to move from that to uh, the podcast, but Dan Schulman is our guest this week from ESPN. And we started actually talking about his voice. You know, I had read an article that had talked about Dan Schulman's voice and he's got really deep pipes, voice of God kind of stuff. And there was actually somebody that had studied, like, the frequency of his voice and where the normal male voice is and where his is. And it's something like 30 megahertz lower than the average American male voice. (laughs) So that being said, one of my first questions was how often he's gotten the, hey, you should go into radio remark uh, over the course of his life. Here's Dan Schulman on Play by Play Cast. You know, I didn't really until I went to, uh, to, I'm Canadian, until I went to university, as we say in Canada, and just for something to do on the side, I was volunteering at the campus radio station, and it's not like, uh, it's not on as grand a scale, you know, as if I were at, you know, Michigan or Wisconsin or wherever I would be in the the U.S., Um, and, and I started doing a little basketball and football play-by-play on the student station there and had a talk show as well, and, and a few of my buddies said to me, you know, you're not half bad at this, but that's as far as it got. And I actually gave it up 
uh, my last year of, of uh, school uh, and uh, went out and got a job as an actuary and lasted about four or five months probably before I realized I, I wanted to look around for something else. And, and then once I got my first actual job in radio, I st- people started saying to me, uh, you know, you, you got a nice voice for this or you sound okay or did you take any voice training lessons or stuff like that. But it really, really wasn't until I was about 22, 23 years old that I ever heard that kind of thing. I read you didn't have any formal voice training. Is that true? None. Uh, I have no formal voice training and no formal education in broadcasting. Absolutely not. I was a uh, an actuarial science major, and, and as you mentioned, and, and um, never had any voice training at all. Uh, how did you uh, How did you train your uh, not necessarily the the technical aspect of broadcasting, but how did you uh, voice is so much a part of what a lot of people say uh, as as they work their way up and try to kind of tweak things and finesse who they want to be. Uh, where did you teach yourself? To, to physically broadcast as, as opposed to the, the, the intricacies of calling a game, so to speak? I, I think I, I used to, I still do it occasionally, but I used to do it a lot, is listen back to myself after a broadcast to hear what something sounded like. Because as you know, sometimes on the way out, it sounds one way, and then you listen back to it, and it sounds a different way. So uh, I think there was a little bit of trial and error there. And I remember as a, you know, as a young broadcaster in my 20s, uh, hearing people say to me, so yeah, well, we like that, but, 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 and, and so there were things that I had to work on that I just never trained myself for. So, um, but for the most part, I've always believed that you are who you are and you should sound on the air like you sound off the air, uh, you know, within reason. I mean, obviously you, sure. you know, you get a little more, you get a little more pumped up on a, on a buzzer beating three than you do just, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, putting down a grocery list or something like that. But, um, but it, 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 there was a lot of trial and error, I think, in my younger years, and, and a lot of uh, listening back to, to games and stuff like that just to hear if it sounded the way I thought it did. Do you remember those early years, what people would say as far as, we like this, but what, what those buts were? Uh, one of them was, you don't have a signature call. And I still don't have a signature call. And that was one I dug my heels in on. And, and I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. It's, it's uh, you know, up to each individual broadcaster to decide how he or she wants to do that. So, but no home run call or no game winning call. And I, and I said, well, everyone's different. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't think they should all call, be called the same. And the other thing I heard was, at, in the big moment, you don't elevate as much as you need to. So, and that's something that I, that is something that I taught myself how to do, not necessarily taught myself how to do, but taught myself how to understand where I need to get to make it sound like I want it to sound in the, in the end result. So I, I would say those were the two. Explain that process to me. What did you go through to, to get yourself in the spot you wanted to be in those moments? You know, I, I think it was uh, as a, as a young person, maybe just lacking the, the, the experience and the confidence to really let it fly. Uh, you know, like to use a baseball analogy, I was just trying to make contact. I wasn't trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. So it took me a while to understand, you know, it was okay to get up a little bit more. That was a big, big moment. Uh, I always felt pretty good, even early, about documenting the game, technically broadcasting the game. But in the big moment, could I get where I needed to get? So um, that that was, uh, again, just through some trial and error and, and just losing, a, you know, losing some inhibitions. As I mean, I was I got into this. Um, in my early 20s, and, and I started doing play-by-play both in Canada and the United States by my late 20s. And, and you know, it seemed I felt pretty young when I was doing that. I felt like uh, it all came rather quickly for me. Um, I don't mean that in a bad way. I, I don't mean that in a 
Uh, what I mean is like, it, it just, I got a job and then I got another job and I got another job and all of a sudden I was like, whoa, how did I get here? So, you know, I, I think I was out over my skis a little bit and, and, uh, when, I, when I first started doing play-by-play in Canada and, and at ESPN. So uh, I, I think I, I just needed some time to kind of catch up and, and learn myself better and understand the things I needed to do to, uh, you know, to really make my bosses happy. And then there was a lot of good constructive criticism at the beginning and I, and I took it in and tried to learn from it. Walk me through the mental mindset on big moments for you too. Uh, I, I mean, the 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 one that comes to mind just because of um, what week it is is you know we're taping this five years to the week after the the Watford shot for Indiana that beat Kentucky right. and uh, I mean I listened back to it again this week a, a couple of times and like it, it still gives me chills. Um, what are you? I mean, if it's that moment in particular, or if you just want to talk generally, uh, what are you thinking in the moments leading up to that about how you want to call something? Um, before it happens, I'm not thinking a thing about how I'm going to call it before it happens. I never have. Um, the uh, I up to and including the Cubs winning the World Series that I had on ESPN Radio in, in October, early November, I guess. So uh, I, I don't do it. I, I just uh, I try to stay in the moment 100 percent of the time. And and that that Indiana Kentucky game you're talking about, which still might be my favorite basketball game that I've ever been lucky enough to broadcast. Uh, you know, who knew how that play was going to develop when they when they inbounded the ball. So I think that call came from everything that happened in the first 39 minutes and 56 seconds of that game. You know, unranked Indiana, Tom Crean trying to put the program, you know, back where it's where it's been. Number one, Kentucky coming in with so many great players. And it was it was a frenzy the whole night, from what I recall, was it was just a frenzied atmosphere at Assembly Hall. And, and um, it's. It, I didn't think anything before it happened. It's, you know, one thing that, that was great about it. I mean, if he shoots the ball with three seconds left, you can't say Watford for the win. Uh, the ball's got to be in the air, you know, as the clock expires for that, to, you know, so that kind of worked out nicely. But um, it was just one of those moments where everything came together and, and I, I don't think about it. I just try to react and, and I'm a big sports fan. And, and so, you know, a moment like that, you know, you, uh, you you say what you see, I guess. You know, sometimes uh, I, I think sometimes we try to complicate it a little bit too much. Uh, at, at the root of it all, sometimes I just try to say what I see. Part of it, I, I'm I'm sure, is just time and body of experience. But it, it, I mean, the entire call on that was seven words. Um, what's it like for you to be able? You know, one of the things that you always hear, especially when you're younger, is to talk less, especially on television. Yes. Uh, how? Yes. How much? I mean, we just talked about not thinking about it, but is there a thinking in terms of restraining yourself and and knowing how to be the right way in the moment? Absolutely, uh, especially when it's the home team, and whether it's baseball or basketball. I love when the home team makes a big shot, and then the director, you know, even if it's in the middle of the game, our director cuts to a shot of the visiting coach asking for a timeout. The crowd's going nuts. You know, the guy who made the shot jumps into the, the arms of one of his teammates over by the bench. Like, what am I going to say to make it better? And, and, and I'll go on talk back to our producer and director in the truck, and I'll say, I'm out. Like, I'm not saying anything. Go to break. And they'll, you know, it'll be seven or eight seconds of great pictures and natural sound going to break. I'll do the same thing in a big moment. Say a pitcher, a home team pitcher strikes out a guy with the bases loaded to get out of a big jam. Walk him off. I'm not going to say anything. So uh, that is definitely a conscious decision that I make. And, and um, less is more, more often than not. And there are certain moments where less is great, too. 
Um, now, the other situation in the Indiana-Kentucky game is Dick Vitale sitting beside me. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, that's a whole other story, and Dick got in there pretty quick, too. So, um, But uh, in, in a moment like that, especially when the home team has that kind of a, of a moment, I think the best thing I can do is get out and just let people enjoy it. What did you think the first time you heard that call back? Uh, I, I was really happy with it. I, I mean, after the fact, I think I just, and I haven't heard it recently, but after the fact, I think I just kind of like, yes, yes, or something like that. And I didn't love that part, but Watford for the win. I mean, I mean, it's a little thing. Like if his name is Jones, Jones for the win, isn't as good as Watford for the win. Cause you've got <laughs> alliteration there too. Like it just, the stars aligned and, and, um, I, I, I was really happy with it. The, the next time I did an Indiana game, I went up to him and thanked him. I said, I know this meant a lot to you. I said, but I want to thank you for a pretty fun moment for a guy like me. And we, and we posed for a picture together. So, which I've never done with a player. I don't think before <laughs> or since, but, um, I, I was, I, I was happy with it. It, it was, uh, I, I, I think I said, uh, you know, what needed to be said, nothing more. And then, you know, they stormed the court right after, as you remember, I mean, it was chaos, absolute chaos in the, in the, in the building, and and um, it was just you know just the kind of moment just to soak it in. I just remember the 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 Dick Vitale part of that afterward too, where he's he keeps saying, "Dan, I don't think we're safe." Uh, <laughs> what uh, was it, that it moment? Was, yeah, it was it was a little bit scary. Oh, oh, hey, Dan, are we safe? I don't are know we if we're safe. safe. I'm, I'm nervous. They're coming up our back. Oh, this is a win that will give them an incredible momentum for the program. I'm really worried here, Dan. I want to thank the good folks at Indiana because of where we sit when we do a game there. Um, there's a little bit of open space behind us, and the students can get a good running start, and they can go right over the table onto the court. It's not it's not like that in, in every single arena, but there are always uh, two or three police officers there, like, like just kind of making sure that everything's fine. But uh, it was it, it did feel a little bit scary at times, and it's not the only place that I felt that. There have been you know five or six times in my career where they've stormed the court, and you wondered if if this was a safe situation. And, and I'm not. I'm not coming out in favor uh, or of, of court strong, but it was, it was a, it was a great moment. It was a, it was a moment as a, you know, if you can't play, I mean, I, I'm as close to the game as I can possibly get without having anywhere close to the athletic ability to actually be a part of it. So uh, I, I felt pretty lucky to be in the building that day. Walk me through the game seven uh, this year as well. Uh, in terms of big moments, I, I feel like it's probably a little bit different than the IU Kentucky game because going into to it, you knew it was going to be a big deal. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. And it had been building up for 10 days and, and it, had been, you know, not only did you have a great world series, you had two compelling storylines too. So I remember going into game seven saying to myself, uh, all I want is a close game. I just don't want anybody to get five runs in the first. And, and this, this series deserves better than that. And the Cubs got out, I think it was a five to one lead if I'm not mistaken. So in the middle innings and it looked kind of like there wasn't going to be any trauma and then Kipnis, uh, well, two runs score right on the wild pitch. Kipnis being one of them made it five, three. And then of course the epic bottom of the eighth. So um, all I wanted going into that game was uh, let it be close. Let, let this series have a game seven. It deserves. Yeah. We had Brandon Gauden on the podcast last week and, and we talked about big moments in in his short career already. And we talked you know, Butler in the final four and those types of things. And he said, the thing he always tells himself is, is just remain calm. Uh, and try to, even though you you know you can feel the moment, just try to keep yourself calm and keep yourself paced. Uh, is that something that runs through your mind as well, or or did it? Yeah, early? sometimes. And and you know where that got away from me was on Rajay Davis's home run in the eighth inning off a of Roldis Chapman, and and it was maybe as stunned as I've ever been 
as a broadcaster in however many years I've been doing this. I mean, uh, you, you just didn't see that coming. I mean, Rajay can run into one. He can hit the ball out of the ballpark. He can be dangerous. But in that moment, you just didn't see it coming. And and I think I got I, – I was so surprised. I ran out of breath in the middle of the call. And I, I, and I don't like the Rajay Davis home run call at all in the bottom of the eighth. So, yeah, I understand what he's saying about stay calm. But at the same time, uh, I, I think, you know, in, in some ways – I'm a connection to the people watching at home. Like if they were at the at the game, they might be sitting right beside me, or they might be they might want to be in my seat, or you know that. So I think I'm almost like a connection to the people at home. And if it's something exciting, I think I should get excited. So uh, now the difference is um, I'm I'm neutral. You know, I work for a national network, and whether it's Kentucky, Indiana, or Cubs, Indians, I'm neutral. So uh, if you do. If you do a home team, whether it's Butler basketball or, or Red Sox baseball or whatever the case may be, I think it's a little bit different. So, and I think everybody has a different kind of sense of sensibility, uh, different sensibilities about you know how you how you juggle that, how neutral you are, or how much of a home team broadcaster you are. So, but yeah, I do try to stay calm. But um, you know what? I think it's I think it's okay to get excited. This is sports. This is a diversion from from real life sometimes, and it is pretty exciting. If I can get into some of the storytelling of uh, of the job with you as well. Um, particularly in baseball, because you've got such a blank canvas for such a long amount of time. How do you craft a baseball broadcast, particularly on TV, when you're doing you know one a week and you've got a whole week to prep for it to to cover yeah. a lot of bases and hit a lot of bases, but not go over? Well, and it's one thing that I I talk to some people on our crew about sometimes is like you're saying because it's a game a week. You know, we all come in all fired up. We have our conference call on Thursday. We have our meeting Sunday morning. We've probably had dinner as a crew Saturday night, and we've all got a lot of good stuff. And sometimes uh, I'm like the cranky old man in in the meeting Sunday morning because I'll say, "Listen, guys, I know everybody's got a lot of good stuff, but if we're all if we if we don't want to, we can't unload it all in the first inning." We got three hours, three and a half hours. Maybe we got nine innings. Let's let it come to us. I'm a big let the game come to us. Like the game is in charge. We'll get our stuff in. It's not our job to drive the bus. It's our job to be, you know, to be on the bus and, and, the, and the game is driving where we're going. So, um, but we'll, we'll each, you know, Aaron and Jess and me and our producer and everybody else, we'll all have uh, storylines that we want to get in. And I guess between me and, and our producer, who's great, um, you know, we're, we're in constant conversation about, does that fit here? You know, it, it, every time we go to break, uh, he and I will talk and I'll say, we'll look at who's coming up in the order. Okay. Do we want to do that? You know, the Mike Trout thing here, he's due up second, um, uh, and whatever the case may be. So it, it, it's constant. It is a blank canvas and, and I don't think you can structure it too much. And I like the fact, uh, that it, we don't structure it though, where we try not to structure it too much. I, I enjoy, the the fa- I've never read off a teleprompter in my life. I enjoy that. I, I enjoy doing live, unscripted television. That's what um, is the most fun for me. So, uh, you know what? Some of the best shows I've ever been a part of, we didn't get in some of the big stuff we talked about in, uh, on the Sunday morning meeting, and some of the best stuff we did wasn't in the meeting at all. It just happened, and it's our job to react to it and hopefully make something good out of it. How much work goes into it? And Maybe this is even a, a Jess and an Aaron thing, too, because I feel like the thing that strikes me a lot when I watch baseball on TV, especially you know with you guys, is there's, there's something for everything. Um, whenever it happens, it could be a guy takes a curveball, and the conversation immediately goes to, you know what, he's been working on seeing breaking balls better. And it's like yep. there, there's so many different minutiae that it's like, how would they have gotten to that in all of their prep? How do you structure the amount of work that you go into? Um, 
and then have it all organized so that you know you can get to it when you need it. Yeah, well, uh, it starts for me on Monday, you know, when I get back from the previous Sunday game. So the first thing I do is you try to anticipate the pitching matchup the next Sunday. And, and generally, those pitchers will pitch on Tuesday. Now, if a team is off Thursday, then those pitchers will pitch on Monday. So, like, automatic, I'm DVRing Monday and Tuesday games of those two teams. Um, I'll, I'll tape every game that week. Now, I, I may not see every pitch of every game that week. But, you know, a hard-throwing, you know, right-hander has come up for the minors and he's throwing a million miles an hour, and I know he pitched in the seventh inning on Thursday. Well, I, I got it. I'll go look at it and I'll see him. So, you know, hopefully there are as few surprises as possible. I, I read everything uh, I can get. But part of my job, it's not just my prep. It's uh, I feel a big part of my job is putting Aaron and Jess in a position to get their stuff on the air. So sometimes I use a basketball analogy uh, when I'm talking about doing a baseball broadcast. Uh, I feel I'm the point guard and, you know, they're, they're the shooters. So it's my job to get them the ball in a good spot to knock down a shot. And I would much rather get an assist than score a basket. So I'm always happy, Aaron, how about this, Jess, how about that? Um, so they will share with me both informally and formally in the meeting or at dinner or around the cage or whatever, you know, I'll have a pretty good sense of what they have what some of their, the things that are high on their list. And I always tell them, tell me what you got because two brains are better than one. And if something jogs my memory at a certain moment, I can say to you, Hey, you know, all right, we can even make eye contact and, and, and we know, okay, this is the moment go tell your story now. So, um, it's, there's no blueprint. There's no, you know, step one, step two, step three. I think everybody's got their own way of doing it. And I just try to, you know, do as much reading as I can. I'm more of a big picture treetop kind of guy. You know, they, you know, they're the analysts, so they're diving into the minutia of the game a little bit more. But the more I know about what they've got, the better I, a position I can put them in to get it on the air. Is it almost harder to work with analysts of that level because they're going to be good on their own, but it's your job to make them better? No, um, I don't think so. Uh, I, I mean, I think the, you know, and I haven't had this very often at all, but the, the hard ones to work with or the ones who don't prepare enough or the ones who, um, you know, tell you their best stuff after the game when you're having a beer in the bar and you say, well, why didn't you tell me that on the air? So Fair. that's a great story. Yeah. So, uh, no, Aaron and Jess are both very easy to work with. I mean, they're great, easy to get along with, and they both work their tails off. Uh, and they love being at the ballpark. They love the job. So, you know, as a play-by-play -play guy, you can't ask for anything. What makes a great broadcast in your eyes? When you get up, you walk away from the table, what happened to make you feel good? Uh, well, I think if the game is good, that helps make the broadcast better, uh, without question. Uh, you know, if, if Kentucky had beaten Indiana by 30 points five years ago, we wouldn't be talking about that game True. right now. So a good game helps everything. So, But uh, I, I think, in, in my mind, it's, it's a good mixture of um, information and entertainment. You know, don't dominate the broadcast. Let, let it breathe when you can. Um, you know, keep number one is you got to document the game. You can't be getting the score wrong or names wrong or fouls wrong or whatever the case may be, depending on the sport. So number one is document the game. Uh, and, and number two is, is, you know, throwing a little entertainment here and there. And everybody's got a different style, you know, working, um, uh, working with Vital is different than working with Billis. So, um, you know, you have to, you have to adjust to that a little bit, but, uh, but to me, a great broadcast is, we got two or three big stories in that we wanted to tell. The game was good. We let it breathe. Uh, you know, the building had a great energy to it. Uh, and if there was a big moment at the end, hopefully, uh, you know, we rose to the occasion. I know you're a big numbers guy just because of your background, but I know you're also not a big numbers, like sabermetrics kind of guy on the air uh, to a certain extent. Um, 
what uh what's one or or is there one or is there an area where where you can or like to go to them or, or how do you like to incorporate them at all if you if you do I don't. I don't do a ton of it, as you say, and, it, and it's uh, considering my background. I think that surprises some of the people in our uh, research department that I'm not more more into it. Um, I, I think they have a place without question. I think sometimes that place is more online than in a telecast, uh, and we've done a little bit of it. I mean, when I started, every hitter, when, whenever any hitter came up to the plate, you saw batting average, home runs, RBIs. Those were the three stats. That's it. You never even saw on base percentage or slugging, never mind OPS. So, um, you know, times have changed, and I'm a bit of a dinosaur, but I change with them. But, um, you know, I, I just don't think that – I think there are more people who will say, um, you know, hey, did you see that Encarnacion hit his 30th homer last night? Then will say, hey, did you see his war went over four? Uh, like, I know it's true. I know it's true. So I'm broadcasting, in, in my mind, to the majority of my audience. I think the people who are going to sit around Monday morning at the water cooler and say, did you see his war went from 3.8 to 4.1, they're watching the game anyways. Uh, my job is to appeal to the majority of the audience. And, and it, it, is a, it, it is a bit tricky because you don't want to talk uh, over some people. You don't want to talk beneath some people. And But, you know, your audience is, is diverse in many, many ways. So... Um, I, I think you have to try to strike a balance. Um, and, but for me, uh, I, I, don't, I don't do a ton of the sabermetrics, and, and I don't even do that many numbers. I think the screen does most of the numbers. You can see it on the screen, so I, I don't need to, to, to repeat what's on the screen. But, um, you know, things like, uh, uh, you know, OPS obviously is one. I, I, I don't say war very much. And in basketball, um, you know, I was gonna say, are you a, are you a Ken Palm guy at all, or? Uh, I, I I really like efficiency. I really do. You know, so I remember when Princeton was really good in the '90s, when Princeton was in their heyday in basketball, and they were making the tournament, and they were upsetting people every now and again. You know, people would say um, they're really really good, but they they play at a slow pace. Well, now we can quantify that. Now we can say, you know, so and so is scoring so many points per hundred possessions, and and absolutely, I will use. Uh, but to me offensive efficiency or defensive efficiency or adjusted offensive efficiency and adjusted defensive efficiency. Those are easy to explain that that's your number of points per hundred possessions. And with the adjusted, it's, you know, it's taking into account the quality of the opponent as well. Like that's, that's fairly easy to explain. Um, I can't explain war on the air. Nobody can explain war on the air. So, <laughs> and, and I'm not saying it's a bad stat. I think there's some value there and, and, you know, to, to each his own. So, um, but in basketball, yeah, I think efficiency is, is terrific or, you know, uh, NBA is big now on, you know, per 36 minute number or per 40 or whatever, you know, depending on who's doing the stat. But, um, I, I, I never want to, I, I think the math has a, a really, really, really important place in sports. I think we're learning and continuing to learn things. Uh, but I also think sometimes we can get a little too far down that rabbit hole and, and we always need to understand, okay, the defensive metrics say that this center fielder is, but I've watched that guy for 150 games, and in my opinion, he's something different. Or this ex-major leaguer, Aaron Boone, who's sitting beside me, I value his opinion, too. I think the eye test matters. You know, a, a, uh, uh, an, intelligent, you know an intelligent guy who knows what he's, what he's watching, I think his eye test matters uh, in addition to the numbers. So I, and I, I think, you know, to completely remove the human element or the, or the opinion from the game and just boil it down to numbers, uh, I think is going a little bit too far. Sure. How long did it take you to get comfortable um, 
doing this per se. You know, when you're growing up and you're uh, going to school and you're doing student radio and all those types of things, you're always focused on uh, like, did I have that great four minute stretch? Cause I need to put it on my demo so I can get my first job in able. Um, yeah. And then as you, as you go through the ranks, you start to kind of realize that it's not about having a good four minutes. It's about, can you get up at the end of the day and say, I had a really good 40 minutes. Um, how long did it take for you to, to, to stand up and say, you know what? I was really confident that if I, if I move that cursor anywhere on the recording, I'm happy. Uh, I would say, I, I mean, when I first started, although I did a lot of play-by-play on student radio, when I first got into radio professionally, I was like a newscaster, sportscaster, did that for a year or two. Then I became a, a talk show host on a sports radio station. And then a few years after that, got back into play-by-play. Uh, and, and I would say I was pretty comfortable quickly in all three, but I always felt that play-by-play was um, maybe the thing I was most comfortable with and the thing I wanted to do the most. I just didn't know if I'd get an opportunity to do it. So, um, But there are times even now, I mean, there were moments this year on Sunday Night Baseball or, or on ESPN doing college basketball where I've walked off the air and said, damn, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. And so, you know, maybe I had a pretty good 39 minutes and 55 seconds, but at the other <laughs> five seconds I said something I didn't like. You know, that's the part that sticks with me. So I never want to get complacent or cocky about it. Um, the uh, the broadcasting gods will zap you pretty quickly if you do that. So, But I would say in terms of play-by-play, my first regular play-by-play job was for the Blue Jays in 1995. I, I went from talk radio to play-by-play, and I'd done some. I had done a little bit of local radio play-by-play, and I'd done what I'd done in, in university, but but not a lot. So that first year with the Blue Jays was a tremendous learning experience for me, beyond a tremendous learning experience for me. But by the end of that baseball season, uh, I'd already filled in on a game for ESPN, and based on that, two months later, I started doing college basketball for ESPN. So um, you know, I got thrown into the deep end, and I'm glad I did uh, because I I had no choice but to learn quickly. So, um, but I, I I think I realized I think one of the you know one of the the things that I I'm I'm pleased about in my career is I realized early, okay, they like you and and they're going to give you a chance, but don't get carried away with yourself here. You can make mistakes, and mistakes can hurt, and there's there's always something to learn. And I will still as I'm watching a game. You know, the one thing people always ask play-by-play guys is, hey, when you're watching a game, do you do play-by-play in your head? And my answer is no. I'm, I'm just I'm just watching the game. But I will listen to a Mike Breen or a Sean McDonough or a Mike Tirico or an Al Michaels or, or a, a Joe Buck or whoever it is. You can always learn from, from somebody else out there uh, who's been at it a while. And, and whether you incorporate that into your own style, um, it, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But even just a situation, you know, okay, how does, all right, punches were thrown in a fight in basketball. How, how do they handle it? What's he saying? Uh, referees are at the monitor. And, and, he, and, you know, every now and again, you don't know what's going on. How is he handling it? Things like that, you know, crazy plays in, in different sports, big moments, whatever the case may be. So I, I'm always trying to listen to other guys I respect and learn from them. This might be a hard question. Uh, is there something that you've heard or liked recently um, or thought about recently that you said, I'm going to, I want to work on this or I'm going to give that a try um, and see how it worked out? No, I wouldn't say so. I, I think, you know, I, again, I've been at it for, you know, that, that might have been, the answer might have been different if we'd been talking 15, 18 years ago. Okay. But I think at this point, you know, you're uh, at some point, you can, you can incorporate little things here and there, but at some point you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I'm getting into, I'm getting close to old dog territory <laughs> right now. So, um, but I, I think it's more still trial and error, 
um, j- just in my career. I mean, 10 years ago, I don't know if I would have laid out when the pitcher struck out the guy with the bases loaded and walked off the field to a huge ovation. Now I like it. Maybe 10 years ago, I might have said, you know what, I got to say something. I got to show them. Now I'm, I'm like, this is good. Let it breathe. And, and so, you know, when you do a lot of games, you, you, you learn from your mistakes, you learn from your successes too. So I, I don't think there's one specific thing, but I think you always continue to evolve a little bit. Does the talk show experience help and particularly in baseball, just inform, I mean, just cause yep, I've seen you talk about being at a bar with Aaron and Jess, and that's what you want to convey. Yep. Does that come into play? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I did a four hour, talk show on Toronto radio for four or five years. And during that time, I mean, at the beginning of my tenure doing talk radio, the Blue Jays were winning back-to-back World Series and the Maple Leafs were in back-to-back conference finals. So that was great. A year after that, there was a, uh, a baseball strike and a hockey and a hockey like So um, that was hard. It's tough doing talk radio when the two biggest sports in the city are, don't exist. <laughs> uh, so I, I think if you can do talk radio, um, I think that that's helped me even in a long baseball game. I I've never, ever, ever said to myself on the air in a baseball game, I'm afraid I won't have anything to talk about. I mean, you know, games can be long. We all, we all love baseball, but we all know baseball games can be long, but I'm never intimidated by, geez, I don't know if what we can fill the air with right now. So yeah, I, I think talk radio is a, it did help me with baseball. Uh, Dan, I appreciate the time here a lot. I want to ask you one more question, and then I'll uh, I'll let you go. And it's uh, a little more off the wall, if if I can. Um, I saw you were in the Maccabi games back in 2013, if I got that right. Um, yes. And as a uh, younger Jewish male myself, I have thought many times if I could pick up like a random sport like archery and then become Israeli, <laughs> I could go to the Olympics. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so how how does one wind up on the uh, the 35 and up Canadian basketball team? Well, um, I, first, first of all, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not a great player, but um, I was actually asked to put a team together for a charitable event, a basketball team. So I got a bunch of my old high school and college buddies, and we just put a team together. And we did okay. Uh, we made it to the final where we, where we lost to a really good team. And then a couple of months later, um, the, uh, the president, I guess, of uh, the, uh, the Maccabi Canada organization called me and said, Hey, we'd like you to MC an event for us, help us raise some money and so on and so forth. So I walk into the room and sitting with him is the guy who was the best player on the team that beat us. And he introduced himself to me and I introduced myself to him. And, and he said, you should come run with us. We play every now and again. And, and so I went out and, and played and like just scrimmaged with them. And at the end, they asked me if I wanted to, to join. So, um, it, it, I don't want to make it sound more than it is, <laughs> but, um, you know, when, when, uh, it, it was it, at the time it was 35 and over. And, and for people who are listening, who don't know the Maccabee games is, is basically like a Jewish Olympics. And it's, it's a great event. It, it attracts people from 50 or 60 countries from, uh, teenagers all the way up to the masters. And, uh, uh which is a nice way of saying old people, which is what we were. So, uh, and, uh, so I went to Brazil in 2011 for the Pan Am games. I went to Israel in 2013, uh, for the worldwide games playing basketball for Canada both times. Unfortunately, in 2013, I got hurt. Literally, as I entered our first game, uh, I got my foot stepped on. I checked in on a, after a foul and boxing out on the free throw. Uh, um, I went up for the rebound uh, on, the, on the free throw, and I got stepped. My, somebody was stepping on my foot, and I tore ligaments in my foot. So technically, I did not even log a second of action in 2013 when I was there. But, you know, it, it's, they've become some of my closest friends, 
Um, they they don't have me around to be a star. They ha- I'm a uh, I'm a good teammate and I lead the team in screens. That's all. That's the only thing that I do. I just my job is to get other people who can put the ball in the basket open. So uh, against my family and my doctor's judgment, because of the injury I suffered, I'm I'm considering going again in 2007 next summer in 2017, and and then that would be it. That would be uh, the end of my time on the court. But it, it's a great event. I mean, you get to. Uh, you know, we've played against Brazil and Argentina and Australia and the U.S. and Israel. And, uh, you know, you get to meet people from all over the world uh, in all different sports and all different age groups. So it's um, it, it's a fun event, but uh, I, I'm a very limited contributor. Does anybody ask you to call the game while you're sitting on the bench? Yeah, a couple of people have. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> I might I might have contributed more had I done that than uh, than uh, what I did on the court. So, but but it, it's fun, you know. It, it's uh, I mean, again, I'm I'm not a, I'm not really a a very good player at all. I just you know I I just know where to be and I can get, get a rebound every now and again, and that's about it. So, but um, it's it's more about the relationships and the experience than anything. And so that's what I'm hanging my hat on for the future, though, because I can't play basketball for anything. So it gives me hope, I guess. <laughs> That's serious, too, by the way. Uh, I make no secret of it. I am I am a Jewish broadcaster. It's a shocking development. Uh, I use a lot of Yiddish on the air. I, I think I said last week that our head coach was throwing a conniption. But I, I've thought many times, like, if I could pick up, like, a random sport, maybe I could go to the Olympics uh, representing Israel. <laughs> like, and I think maybe, like, the Maccabi Games is probably a better goal in life. <laughs> but, but like maybe if I picked up archery or, you know, bobsled, how hard could it be to get on the Israeli bobsled team? I don't know. It probably doesn't exist. So, like, this could be cool runnings, too, really, if you think about it. <laughs> so, neat little quirk at the end there that uh, that that Dan how about that by the way I don't know if we, we might have broken news there by the way that he's going to try and come back the next round through we might have it here first I don't know but uh, many thanks as always to Dan Schulman uh, for joining us on a serious note and uh, he doesn't know me from Adam you know he just got a random cold email from me this week uh, a random broadcaster with a podcast that said hey you want to come talk about the profession for a half hour so uh incredibly grateful that he took the time to join us and and break down uh, what he does and how he does it well and uh, how he's gotten to the point where he does it uh, the way he does that was a complex sentence right there if i've ever put one together (laughs) a lot of really good stuff in there though i thought particularly the statistics and how he treats that especially you know as he mentioned a guy that went to college for actuarial sciences and, and worked in that field for a little while before he got into broadcasting you know, there, there's, there's so many statistics and so many ways you can break stuff down nowadays, particularly it's basketball season. You know, Ken Pomeroy, you could spend hours trying to figure out what separates teams or what makes this guy good or what makes this team or guy interesting through, you know, Ken Pomeroy's statistics. But how do you explain that all on the air sometimes? And I'm sure there are ways and there are ways, uh, but there's also ways to just be simplistic and I thought it was an interesting point and a good point that, you know, 30 years ago, we just put batting average home runs and RBI on the screen, and that was good enough. And everything else was painting a, a human interest picture, so to speak. And there's something to be said for that. And there's certainly a lot of merit for that. And uh, it's interesting that, that Dan seems to like that route and just a, a simpler numbers picture because let's be honest in a lot of ways it's easier to digest there's a lot to be said for numbers but sometimes it can get kind of wonky if you're just chilling 
watching a game on the sofa. Anyway, uh, many thanks again to Dan. Uh, really appreciate him coming on. Uh, the first of a, a list of great guests we've got coming up over the next couple of weeks uh, leading into 2017. I'm not going to spill the beans on anybody, but I'll give you some hints. Uh, if you're keeping score at home, we're going to have our first hockey announcer on. He's also going to talk a little bit of baseball and uh, some guys that really uh, have, have some dream jobs. Uh, our next three guests in the last 30 seconds there, if you can pluck out some information. Uh, that's what's coming up here on Play by Playcast. Look forward to hearing from everybody again. If uh, you, you want to give us a shout, at PXPCast on Twitter, at Joel Godet. You can shoot me an email as well. Uh, would love to hear from you. Rate, review the podcast, download, subscribe, tell somebody all that good stuff. But we're out of time, which is a misnomer because this is a podcast. We're never out of time, but we're out of the arbitrary time limit. So we'll see you next week right here on Play by Playcast. We're out. Play by Playcast.